Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Check In by TMR. My guest for this episode is Serena Cook, the founder of Deliciously Sorted, a concierge travel and relationship company based out of Ibiza. If you Google Serena's name, you're going to see a lot of the stories about Ibiza being the best place to party in Spain, about wild Ibiza party requests, and how the lunch is the new night out in that destination. She's very clearly one of the most trusted experts in what's happening in Ibiza, a destination that's becoming increasingly common amongst North American travelers, both those looking for the party life and those looking for a secluded, beautiful destination. She knows the island inside and out, both that party culture, which I mentioned, and what else the island has to offer. I wanted to feature her on this series because she has years of experience dealing with very high net worth clients. If, if you go through that Google search, you're going to see some of them for yourself. That's a population that's increasingly sought after by so many travel advisors. I wanted to get her take on what high net clients really want and more importantly, probably how you can talk and communicate to high net worth clients in order to give them what they really want out of their relationship with you. Just a note, there's one thing she mentions that I want to drop into the episode description. It, it's, it's a definition of the DISC relationship strategy, which Serena talks about and, and says she uses with her team to figure out the best way to communicate to and interact with her high net worth clients, which is, again, something I think is very valuable for travel advisors. So that should be in the episode description for your reference. Um, it really was a very fun conversation. Uh, aside from the client dealings, we also talk about Ibiza as a destination and how it's changed in the decade plus she has lived and worked there. Serena is bright, she's engaging, and she clearly loves what she does. She's also very grounded in what being a concierge or in DMC means between relationships with travel advisors and an earnestness to be original, hyper-organized and to deviate from the cookie cutter vacation pitch. I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you do too. Let's check in with Serena. Hi, Daniel. <laughs> Hi, Serena, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, are you, uh, are you back in Ibiza? I'm back in Ibiza. How is the weather in Ibiza this week? Oh my god, can you, it is pouring with rain. Yes. Is that, is that, a, is that typical for, I guess, springtime there? No, basically it's been super hot. There was like a heat wave in Spain over the weekend and it had to break. So we've got one day of gray rain and it's good. We, yeah. we like it. The people that live here like it, not those who've got four days holiday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't. I can't imagine the tourists would uh, would like it too much. Um, so I know. Uh, so I know we spoke last week, but I am really happy to be able to talk to you for for the travel advisors uh, who are who are our audience here. Um, and I know they've heard if they're hearing your voice, they reckon they they hear an accent. And so I was hoping we could sort of kick off the conversation by you telling us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about deliciously sorted and sort of the journey you've had uh, throughout your career to arrive where you are at today. Um, sure, lovely to meet everyone. And yes, I have a very British accent because I grew up in London and I actually went to a British boarding school. And one of my best friends at boarding school 
was Peruvian and she's still one of my one of my best friends and she changed my life because I went to stay with her in South America and that's when I took up Spanish and I went on to read Hispanic studies at Bristol University because of the Spanish and my fascination with Spanish and South American culture little knowing that that would be the first stepping stone as to where I am today and once I'd spent quite a lot of time in South America, including opening a restaurant in Bogota, Colombia, when I was very young and very naive, I came back to London and I worked in big, big restaurants of the 90s. I also set up Britain's first certified organic restaurant, which was too ahead of its time and it didn't work. And once I closed that, a great friend of mine said, what are you going to do now? Why don't you come and spend the summer in Ibiza? And I said, oh, my God, the dream, because I've been here three times before. And I said, but I need to work. And she said, I have three houses and I want to include that they have Mediterranean lunch every day and you can be the cook. And I was like, I'm not a cook. I'm not a chef. I've never done a cooking course. And she said, yes, but you're a foodie, you've had restaurants and you can cook. So I thought, do you know what? This is a stopgap summer. She's paying me to be in Ibiza. I will make my next career choice in September. That is how it all began. And that's why the company is called Deliciously Sorted because I would be the point of contact for the clients. I was in their kitchen. So they would say, what's your favorite restaurant? Have you been to Pasha, can you get us a table? I'd like to go by boat by Formentera. And so I started to sort things out. So Deliciously Sorted was born 20 years ago. I want to I want to get into Delicious Sorted and, and what what uh, what the company does. But uh, I just want to ask because uh, I know a lot of people are probably curious about I mean, what was what was Ibiza like when you first when during that first experience at, on the on the at the destination? I mean, what was it? What was it like then? And then how has it changed throughout the years since since you've been there since you've been operating out of there? Yeah, um, it's a good question. Basically, I was the typical cliche I was in the right place at the right time. Ibiza was a rough diamond like you needed direction you needed a reassuring voice at the end of the phone to tell you which way to go was the was the travel market or the tourism market very strong back then it was beginning so it was on its ascendance and basically Ibiza similar to Mykonos did the same trajectory basically what happened in Ibiza specifically was after Franco extreme re repression the Ibithenkans kind of opened their arms to foreigners and the initial set that came to Ibiza by boat um, were thespians, were bohemians, and then it also became a point on the hippie trail um, because of this like-minded attitude and the Ibithenkans were very welcoming about anything goes and not really judging. So then the hippies started to come and they, they would kind of do Goa in India, Bali, Ibiza in the summer. The tourism then was very Spanish and predominantly European. But what happened was also, just as I'm saying that Ibiza was very open in terms of mentality and similar to Mykonos, the gay community was welcomed with open arms, which then brought fashion communities. And that's kind of the point when I came 
So the, the person that I actually worked for that first summer was Jade Jagger. She was best friends with Mark Jacobs, Kate Moss. Okay. That whole scene were coming and they needed somebody at the end of the phone to say, I'll make that booking for you. This is where you okay. should go. You don't necessarily want to go to somewhere called the West End because that's very like tacky. You want to go north or you want to drive two kilometers down the start track to the best restaurant in Ibiza. And now today, 20 years ago, it's still one of the top three seafood restaurants, but that road is paved. There's no more potholes. There's a barrier on the side. So it was, it, people needed direction and reassurance. Whereas today they need direction because they've heard, particularly for a newcomer, it would be for so cool. Where do we start? What's your taste? Which beach should we be at? But it's more about nowadays accessibility and being able to get the spot in the restaurant, which is what we do yeah, a lot so, of. So I know I know Ibiza has a reputation for being a party destination, and uh, but it, it does seem like we we spoke about it last week, and I've spoken to some hoteliers about it. It does seem that it's becoming a luxury travel destination just as much as becoming sort of this party destination for 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 international travelers too. For sure. And I think the reason why is because, again, 20 years ago, it was more about the dance floor, but this eclectic mix on the dance floor bought a, a certain VIP. And now the VIPs are practically bigger than the dance floor because to come here, it is very luxurious and it is high end. And the partying side is one very small part of it. I mean, yeah. there's six significant nightclubs um and apart from that there's hundreds of beaches there's hills there's mountains there's gourmet food there's michelin star restaurants there's boat charters to formentera there's shopping there's no traffic compared to the, there's not so much traffic compared to the south of france because you can go anywhere on the island okay so you, if you if you don't want to go, you can completely avoid it. And a lot of our clients are families, high net worth, up high net worth, who maybe might go to one just to say, I went to pasture in Ibiza once in my life. Okay. You know? Yeah. Um, so I, I do want to ask about Delicious Sorted. I want to get into what you mentioned about talking to high net worth clients. But I just have, you mentioned accessibility being a part of this sort of experience now, this luxury experience. And I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that because everyone nowadays is talking about this changing definition of luxury and luxury travel in particular and accessibility and being able to access things and not having to, having to wait on, on lines or, or get on the phone or wait on hold. It seems to be such a major part of that trend. Yeah, I think basically what has happened is, is that people are cash rich and their time short. Okay. And... For example, they work incredibly hard. I love to Google who our clients are and they are doing whatever incredible thing they are doing around the world. And they want to make sure that their two weeks or three weeks with their family or their kind of intimate friends is perfect and that they're going to the right places. So I think it's, I actually think there's two things. One is access, one is stress-free, one is being directed and 
you know, getting the client on the phone straight away and seeing what their likes are and what their preferences entailing a very bespoke itinerary towards them. And I think what is very, very important now as of days is to make something unique, to get away from the cookie cutter travel experience. You're not going to have that cookie cutter in Ibiza anyway, because it is so unique, Mm -hmm. but trying to make it special year after year and what new openings or what off the beaten track, what hidden gem. And I would think particularly post-pandemic is privacy. Oh, wow. You know, I think some people, you know, last year, our boat charter figures were off the charts because that's something that 10 or 12 people could do on a boat, the immediate family or friend group, be privacy, be safe be on the water. I mean, of course, that's also going to go for celebrity clients as well. But more and more, we're also seeing nowadays people wanting not just a private chef in their home, but maybe like a super special dinner in a in wood or on a clifftop amaze across from there's this amazing rock called Espedra and like a sunset dining experience for the immediate 12 in their villa. The average, the average villa size is six bedrooms so when I keep saying 12 it's because that's what they're usually traveling with okay and so they want something that's as well as getting the table at Pasha or getting a table at Cipriani they want the other side as well for that intimacy that's so precious that we didn't have for two years you know yeah and and I mean you so you mentioned something that I think uh, advisors should can take note of is that you're trying to provide this experience that's not necessarily a cookie cutter experience. And is it just what you spoke about? Is doing that just making sure you have those small touches and then you're offering accessibility, you're offering privacy, you're, you're just making sure that, you know, it's not a standard point and click vacation that these people or, or experience that these people are getting. Yeah, it's all of those. And I think it's also slightly thinking for the client. And oh, also wow. we use a term in this office called joined up thinking as well, um, which we're using all the time, which is, okay, if we're gonna direct them to do this, then what are they gonna need later on that night? Or what are they gonna need the next day? Or how can we, so it's the the absolute very first thing for any travel advisor listening, I think is to get people on the phone, right? Is Is to hook the emotion, to build a rapport, you, you know, you've got that emotional engagement. They can say what they like to do, what the dynamic of their group is, how old they are, how old their kids are. Then you can, as you're talking, define the holiday experience that you're going to put together. And then that's when it gives you such a great opportunity to go the extra mile because you're like, okay, the kids are eight, five, and three. They, you, you're going to go for a dinner at this restaurant, which is actually quite late as an adult, because also in Spain, sometimes you can eat at 10 p.m. So you're not going to come back as the parents with the friends until at least one o'clock in the morning. So let's organize for the kids with the nanny in the morning to go go go-karting or have swimming lessons or to the tennis club. Do you know what I mean? It's just like a thing going back to that time short thing and then when the client feels so reassured because they're like oh my god I'm not just going to go to the best restaurant on the best beach my whole dynamic of the group is going to be thought of 
Yeah, joined. I never heard that term before. Joined up thinking. That's an interesting way to put it, and, and to look at it too. And I know, I know, travel advisors need to have these the same thoughts as as you and uh, and your company uh, does as well. So it's, it's it's a good thing to make note of. Um, but I I want to. So I know you do share a lot of similar job descriptions with a lot of the travel advisors, um, but. I know deliciously sorted you call yourself a, a concierge company and you do you do a lot of different things right a lot of different yeah. things yes so yes. You, men you mentioned the villas and i know uh i know that's a big part of it too and you mentioned sort of the, the dealing with clients and is, is that sort of how you would describe the company yeah so we have the three main um divisions of villa rental couture events because it's it's high-end and the concierge, which is any number of service that we organize for them here on their holiday. So that will not just be reservations and recommendations, but also personnel, which might be a private chef, a butler, a reflexologist. So there's a, there's a lot of different elements and the concierge account managers all have the supplier speciality. So a couple are dedicated to nightlife, one is um, another one is dedicated to health, beauty, and wellness. Another two to childcare. Another two to nightlife. So all of them are very specific: boat charter, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I think across the board, it's what we were just talking about. It's the this level of high net worth client, whether it's an event, a villa, or a concierge, they want everything hyper organized, and they want you to do the thinking for them and the planning offering what is the best of Ibiza so that could be a villa in a certain location or it could be an event for a 40th for a wedding but they also what they really recognize and and respond to and again it goes back to getting them on the phone is the personality behind the brand and I've always tried deliciously sorted since the past 20 years to make it a very friendly but incredibly professional service so people okay. are like oh my god we you know that is she still working for you who looked after me last summer yes they're still in my office that's great she can take care of you this summer like it's we're at the end of the day what we're organizing is fun right so we want it to be personable and our average um repeat rate for clients is 40 percent. so we know that we're doing something well because they come back to us again and again and you you build a relationship like my longest client has been with us for 19 years you know we know everything and my longest employee has been with me for 18 years so you, it's it's very kind of family style in, in, a, in a way in a way yeah, that's an it's an interesting line to have to toe the line between sort of being uh, friendly and being professional and like being someone's concierge by also being their friend like it seems like it seems like that's a delicate balance to have to strike and it, I, i'm sure it's something that sort of has to be learned along the way yes but there are certain tools okay which i was wondering if you or anybody listening has heard of do you have you heard of something called disc profiling no i i haven't heard of it okay so afterwards you can put it in google and basically okay. it's that us, that clients, that any kind of human basically falls into four categories. So for example, when my team are training in the winter, that is something that we will really study. And as soon as you get the client on the phone or even by email, 
you can work out what type of client that person is and you therefore tailor your response according to that. So it's DISC, and I'm not gonna go through all four points because we don't have time, but D is an easy example. It's, it's a dominant character, right? And a lot of our clients, particularly the husbands are Ds, right? Because okay. they're full bliss, high net worth, super achievers, overachievers. And the way you communicate with a D is bullet point, straight to the information, straight to the price, that's it. Something like an I is a different type. It would be much more fluffy. You want to get them on the phone. You're kind of hooking the emotion. And that's one of the tools that across the board is super successful for us. That's interesting. Yeah. You shortcut. You really, really, really shortcut. It's great. I mean, is it easy to, to maybe profile is the wrong word, but to categorize someone in one of these, in one of these, uh, in one of these segments is, it seems like you might, you might make mistakes along the way though. Mm, You can definitely have like an IS or a DI, you can have a combination, but when you look at it, you know who you are straight away. I mean, there's like, you know, multiple choice questions you can do for yourself, but, and it's also really useful for the office. Because when you get when somebody in the in the team is stressed or anyone is stressed, those characteristics become kind of exaggerated. So then, as a team person in the height of August, in our case, we can be like, okay, she's gone into her own little box because she's just doing a lot and she's stressed, and I'm not going to take offense by it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's it's. It's a really good tool and you can, you can, you can identify people just through a phone conversation. So where, where did you learn about this tool? Was it just something that popped into you? No. So basically in 2012, 10 years ago, I'd never done a business course in my life. So I, I studied languages and Hispanic studies, which was film and history and culture. So in 2012, I realized that I had a great business and all three departments were developing and I was getting a bigger and bigger team. So I took on a business coach who coached me for 18 months and then my managers. And he now does monthly webinars with my team in low season. And then every May, he's actually in England, but Zoom is fantastic. Every May I fly him over and we have a day out of office to refresh everyone or any newbies to learn all these skills. And it's fascinating because he coaches architects and somebody with a yoga studio and a concierge and a a landscape designer, like all there are business tools that apply to very varied business models. Yeah, that's an interesting thing too, because the travel industry sort of, sometimes it does feel very isolated to, to the other segments of, of the economy, the global economy, just because how unique it is. And especially it felt like it felt that way during the pandemic, because it felt like a lot of these, a lot of what was happening almost targeted what was happening in travel and hospitality. But you're right, it is, you're still an entrepreneur, you're still running a business. And a lot of these, a lot of these things will, will, will bleed over in, into how you're operating with you and your staff. Yeah. And I think, Another, in terms of talking about travel, another really great skill is the power of questions and listening. Okay. So I say to all of my team, you know, you're working concierge, but you're actually salespeople. But you don't want to be a salesperson that's like driving. You've got to 
you know what I mean? You've got to book the chauffeur and then you've got to book this and you've got to book this and you've got to, you know, it gets, a, it's not particularly delicate. So the power of asking a question because then you get the client to speak and then you can define what they're going to like to make sure that you're not just offering same, same and going back to this cookie cutter type concept. So what are, what are some good leading questions someone would ask to sort of pull that information or, or pull that or pull information that would lead to that confirmation from clients? Is there, is there any like good ones that, yeah. that come to your mind? Well, the easiest one, and I know that's specific to me because we cover predominantly Ibiza or the four or the three other islands. So we basically cover the Balearics. The first question is, have you been to whichever island, Ibiza, before, right? And then they go, yes or no. And then if they say yes, what did you do before? Where did you stay? What did you like? Then they start talking. We stayed in a hotel. We came with friends. We were playing four years ago. Blah, 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 blah. I'm traveling with my kids. I'm doing this. And then they start talking. We really loved. And you're getting what kind of, you're hearing in their voices what they love. Then if they say, no, we've never been to Ibiza. How did you hear about Ibiza? What do you expect of Ibiza? That's it. And then they just talk. And then you're like, okay, you might, be through you, you think it's party party it's actually not you can totally avoid it we didn't have parties for two years it's in, there's the most amazing restaurants like on global level now you know and then you go in and those literally those two questions that's it then you're off okay <laughs> um so i know we don't have a ton of time left but i did want to ask because when when we were when we met you mentioned how you you built this business and part of it was cold calling travel advisors or travel yeah. agencies and yeah. i was yeah i was just hoping you could tell us a little bit about that because i think that is such a unique story and such an interesting story that travel agents should be aware of going forward well i think it's basically it, it came from obviously trying to generate business but it also came from the fact that i absolutely love new york and la so i was like <laughs> okay how can I how can I get myself over there? But I literally started to do that in 2006. One of my first clients in 2002 was a New Yorker. I was like, okay. I said to him, "Do you know of any? You know, who do you use for your travel back home? Who would you recommend or the kind of highest end?" I literally also put in Condé Nast. You know, I just researched online, yeah. like, who are the best travel advisors, who are concierge, who have private clients. I then sent an introductory email with a bit of a kind of story about Ibiza and making it seem kind of so fabulous. And I got a lot of response because Ibiza at that time was really coming on everybody's radar. And I started to do that annual trip. And then... And remember at that stage, EDM hadn't really got to America. M more your music was rock music and big rock bands. And, and yeah. then, then I guess like about 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago, electronic dance music started to take off and you started to get those big parties like on, on the west side of America because I couldn't believe the West Coasters or... LA, San Francisco, San Francisco would make such a travel 
to Ibiza because it's such a long journey. And also you guys traditionally take way less holiday days than Europeans do. Yeah. Um, you know, Europe takes the whole of August off, whereas some of you, it seemed like you would take it like a week holiday and then suddenly somebody was flying from LA. It was like, my God, you know? So then it was like, okay, let's sandwich LA onto this trip. And now that trip that I would do pre-pandemic, I would do New York, Miami, LA, San Francisco or Silicon Valley, like Silicon Valley. You know, obviously West Coast was great and, and, a, and a very quick interesting story is. And the other thing that I would do, particularly 2006, I would turn up to the meeting with like a printout for them to keep. Um, I feel like 2006 was like pre-iPad because now obviously I have an iPad and I can show beautiful pictures. Uh, okay. We had a synopsis of each island because Mallorca is very different from Ibiza, which is very different from Hormontera, which is very different from Menorca. So the people I was seeing were like, wow, she really knows her stuff. I was like in their mind and also because I'd made the trip. And then the best story is cold calling a travel company that had a great name. I was like very kind of struck by the name, going to see this amazing woman who two years later called our mainline number and said, I think I met your founder, Serena. Well, I met your founder, Serena. No, I met your founder, Sandra, and my name's Serena. She came to see me two years ago, get her to call me straight away. And I called her back and I went, it's Serena, not Sandra, how are you? And she said, I've got a client for you. And it was Katy Perry. Oh, wow. Like two years later, like yeah. totally worth it. So, I mean, what what can companies like like your like your company and, and other companies outside of Ibiza? What what? How can they help travel agents or travel advisors? I mean, what can they what can they provide value wise to their clients? And I know we've been over sort of what Deliciously Sorted does, but I mean, if you could put it in plain terms, I mean, what what sort of the value add for for advisors who are thinking about partnering with you or or a concierge company like yours? I mean, I think it, the term D, a DMC is exactly what we are. We're a destination okay. management company, right? And for whatever travel advisor on the other side of the world, we are the experts in our fields of this area. By partnering with someone like us or, or with another company, you know that once your client is there and in this world of 2022, which is very hand-holding as we've discussed, they're not going to be out they're not going to have to like research and try to sell something that they don't know they put them in our hands obviously the client is always theirs in terms of commissions and confidentiality and all of the the kind of bureaucratic side of it but they will have the best experience of that destination yeah. i couldn't recommend it highly enough and and again for the villas and again for for particularly when it comes to event planning how would you do an event as you know a company from london a company from new york to try to google who's the best supplier on the island like that's not good enough these days oh. that's a bit risky <laughs> so i know we only have a few minutes left but i didn't want to miss an opportunity uh just because i've spoken to so many people from the u.s and for, from from other destinations on the, on this series, but I'm just curious. So we, I wanted to ask you, what's it like to live and work in Ibiza? I mean, I don't think I've spoken to anyone who makes their home there. I know there's a heavy inbound tourist market too. I mean, how does it? How is sort of the interaction between the tourists and the locals? And I mean, what's it like in general? 
I mean, I always say that I have the best job in the world. And, and as I said at the beginning, I thought this was like a stopgap summer. And then I was going back to the city. And then I was like, oh my God, I can make a job out of this. I can make a profession. And I remember sending to my friends at home, you too could have this life. You just need to get here and try, you know? Yeah. Um, and now I've obviously been here for 20 years. There in particular, I would say to any of the Balearic Islands, perhaps not quite Palm, not quite Mallorca, but it's a Mediterranean island. It's incredibly beautiful. A lot of people say that Ibiza in the summer is like living in the city, but Ibiza in the winter is like living in the countryside because the permanent population is under 200,000. And, you know, on a normal, i.e. pre-pandemic year, you have 7 million people passing through the airport. So it's busy. You've got world-class restaurants, hotels, the type of people that are coming. And then in the winter, it's 300 days sunshine a year. You're doing incredible hikes. I swim all year round. You're kayaking. It's like super healthy. It's an amazing place to bring up kids. But it's only two hours from anywhere. And that's what made me fall in love with it all those years ago. Because I was used to South America. But actually, two hours within any European capital city is Ibiza with this very, very magic energy. Um, and then I would say, you know, in the winter, culture-wise, it's obviously not like a city. You know, I crave going to a museum. I crave, I'm a foodie, I love restaurants. But then you're on the doorstep of Madrid or Mallorca is a much more established island. It's the tourism is like 11 months of the year. Palma's an incredible capital city. Um, so then you travel a bit for that, but in terms of quality of life, it's fantastic. And interestingly, pre-pandemic, I would make my base London from November to April, because that's where I grew up, very close family, etc. But I spent the pandemic here, and now I do go to London less and less. I mean, I love it, and I need to reference it. And that was another point, actually. Another great thing about doing those trips, cold calling and putting myself out there for agents anywhere around the world is you then to the client when they are in Ibiza can reference the restaurants from their home city, you know, it's a win-win. So it just means that I have to travel to go and do that. But I think anybody advising, uh, anybody listening as a travel advisor, you love travel, right? right? We're all travel junkies. So this is a very, very good base and also, it's a seasonal business. So I have a little, lot of time in winter for, for downtime and, and travel. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I know uh, I've spent in November to April in, in London before, and I, I imagine the weather's a bit better in, uh, in Ibiza. So I don't, you probably made a good decision. <laughs> yeah. But what's also happened here, which I think is, is you know, it's, it's what happens, has happened everywhere post pandemic is that a lot of people now move here, have moved here. And the type of person who's buying here, previously they were buying for four to six weeks usage and perhaps they dreamt for the rest of the year or if they didn't have to, they didn't have to. Now people buying are buying to use it for four to six months of the year because Zoom culture has become commonplace. They want a better quality of life. They might have come from Berlin or Frankfurt or Paris, and but they want to come here for 
climate, but a more relaxed approach to, to living. Yeah. Um, so I know we're sort of out of time, but and we're going to wrap it up. But I just want to say thanks. Uh, thanks for talking to me today, Serena. I, I was it was really nice meeting you over the past two weeks. And I, I, I really got a lot out of this conversation. And I know I know the audience will as well. Oh, it's such a pleasure. But now you have to come to Ibiza. I know it's it's all it's on my list. I'm going to I'm going to try to uh, try to get out there and uh, and sort of I see what it's about. You, you did make a great pitch on it, too. Well, all four islands, we will plan you the perfect tour. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I, I really appreciate it. And again, thanks so much for your time. Uh, and yeah, I'm sure I'm sure I'll be in touch very soon. Thank you so much for having right. me. All Thank right. You. Bye. Bye.